Spoiler alert, when this podcast talks about the books, it talks about it in the context of the entire The Song of Ice and Fire series. And when it does so about the television shows, it does so in the context of the most recent episode. You've been warned. Before the Dragon, a podcast dedicated to George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire and the HBO Game of Thrones prequels franchise. Welcome to another Thursday edition of Before the Dragon podcast dedicated to the Game of Thrones prequel franchise and to A Song of Ice and Fire by George R. R. Martin. We are currently in the read of the book Fire and Blood. And we are continuing our conversation from earlier this week, picking up again in chapter 12 and going through chapter 13 this episode as well. Not much else to say, except be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod, as well as if you have any feedback, feel free to send emails to Matt's audio blog, M-A-T-T-S audio blog at gmail.com. Or you can simply go to the website, mattsaudioblog.com, M-A-T-T-S-audioblog.com. There's a contact form there where you can just submit your stuff that way. You don't have to remember any email addresses or anything. Hopefully you will contact us with your feedback on these chapters. And when we get some and get enough of it collected together, we will share it with the listeners. Thank you very much for your time. Let's get back to joining our two sirens of A Song of Ice and Fire this week. We have Kelly from the West at Kelly Underfoot on Twitter. And we have Stephanie from the North at SM Persephone on Twitter. Feel free to contact them as well with any of your thoughts. We'll get right back into Chapter 12 right now. Chapter 12. Heirs of the Dragon. A Question of Succession. Yeah, speaking of uh, Damon, the uh, the rogue prince from the, uh, the the offshoot novella, he he's kind of a a light and dark character. He seems um, brave and and daring and dashing, but he's also sullen and grumpy and a little bit um, sleazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The more you kind of see about his his personal life, it's not nearly as uh, gold as the cloaks he gave the city watch. Mm. If you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And 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 the way he's um, prevalent in wielding his power. And again, I guess we ought to probably talk about this uh, in in a little bit in the future. But um, and I'm not saying he's nearly as mad or cruel as Magor, but he does have that kind of strong arm feeling about him to me. Oh, for sure. And he, he seems to have this obsession with being close to the throne or, you know, the, at least the, the text makes it appear he overly cares about his place in the line of succession, which has such a dark uh, connotation to it. Cause, and I always think of this when like the, when people in, in, England talk about how far they are away from the crowd and it's like yeah you know you you know you're saying that you know 20 of your relations would have to die in order for you to have the crown like it's so dark <laughs> it is <laughs> but uh it is a weird obsession for for regencies i suppose yeah the, the, the whole the regency of these targaryens and their succession as the chapter is it's just so convoluted to me <laughs> It's hard to keep track of. It's it, very hard to keep track of. Kelly, do you have a spreadsheet for that? <laughs> Just the, the the family tree that I screenshotted and, and drew all over for the uh, <laughs> multiple <laughs> situations that occurred. I'd made one for the dance so I could like mark off who had what dragon and whose team the reds are. Well, I, I made it red, but it's the blacks and the greens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's too complicated to do in in spreadsheet. Let me just let you know that it's it crosses over and like you have too many lines that try to attach to each other. It's just <laughs> okay. Can't be done. <laughs> in other words, folks, it's convoluted. Once again, I go back and say too many children earlier. Too many yeah. children. That's the way it goes. Here's the most important question, Kelly. Whose mm. account do you put more faith in? Mushroom's oh, testimony, no. Grandmaster <laughs> Runciter's testimony, or Septon Eustace's testimony? I, 
I was thinking about this um, because it does, I think, say more about the reader than <laughs> the text whose words you put belief in. Yes, whether I you're fired or not depends on your answer. <laughs> uh, I would say seven times out of ten, I take mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. And then like two times out of ten, I'll take uh, Eustace and then the Septon. I think uh, I take that once out of every so. As long as it agrees with one of the other two, I'll believe his. It's just... And one out of, yeah, just because the, I think the bias of the faith uh, has set me against him a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. And also, well, I was just going to say, and his name was Mushroom. How can you not believe a guy named Mushroom? (laughs) (laughs) It depends on whether he got that name because he was eating them or not, I think is the important thing. (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, here's the big thing. The main differences in all of this, of course, is about uh, Rhaenyra, right? And Christian Cole, that's that's where I found a lot of the big differences in in all of this, mm-hmm. and um, I found it uh, as lecherous as as Gildane makes mushroom sound. Uh, he seems to be the one that seems to be in support of of Christian Cole more often than the other two. Yeah, his story puts him in a more favorable light. Um. So that may, that's why mushrooms made the more more sense to me as well. Uh, but also, I think we had a little bit of doubt on uh, uh, Mr. Eustace's, I think it was, because he was taking his um, story from uh, the Orwell, who was suspect at the time, because he was trying to make himself seem like he wasn't as involved with the Greens as he was. <laughs> mm, yeah, good point. Good point. Well, I also saw mushroom kind of as a, parallel or relating to Patchface. Like, they're both supposed to be fools who are, you know, they're fools. That's why they're called fools. They're not supposed to be believed. Mushroom, they thought maybe was a little dumb, dim-witted. Patchface, drown. (laughs) So he, they think he's kind of out of it. But I think they both, they're smarter than they appear. Like, Patchface and all his riddles and stuff have hidden meanings. So I'm much more inclined to believe Mushroom because maybe he just has that facade of being dim-witted, but really he he knows what's up. Well, I was going to say that I feel like the the biggest uh, attribute to Mushroom and, and to Patchface both is because since they were perceived as somebody who would never relate to anything like this, I mean, let's face it, when when a, when a later Targaryen king orders your testimony to be burned, every copy of it, um, somebody's got something to hide right? and, and he, 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 they probably thought, oh, it's okay. We can talk in front of mushroom. We can do this in front of mushroom. We can do that in front of mushroom because yeah. he's not going to, he's not going to be able to ever relay any of this. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. Kind of the same with Patchface. I don't know if he knows secrets and everything, but he knows secrets from under the sea mm-hmm. and you know, he's, he's kind of a freaky character. I know, but... I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he, like I said, he knows more than he lets on and all of his like songs and weirdness has secret meanings to it. So I, I like the, the parallel and comparison of patch face and mushroom. Me too. Yeah. On a meta level, I think as readers, we're supposed to kind of sympathize with these fools and say that they're in their, you know, during their time in court that they were always overlooked. And so therefore this is their time to shine now that they are able to tell their story. <laughs> the only problem with Mushroom is that he seems to embellish a lot that are, especially, I think it's called out a couple of times how he, he contradicts himself or that uh, <laughs> he wasn't even there at the time. So him, he he does have a little bit of skepticism um, from the reader weaved right. in, but I think that's just to keep it uh, on par with the other two so that you don't ultimately always believe Mushroom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mushroom also seems to say that Damon is responsible for corrupting Rhaenyra. Uh, I believe it. Do do we do we accept that? It fits with his character from what we saw um, before, and it also makes. I mean, I think he's twenty years older than her, mm-hmm. <laughs> or so. So yeah, it's either you know she's. 15 at the time, I think. (laughs) So 
Yeah, there's there's a lot to uh, believe about that scenario playing out the way that it's described by Mushroom. And so does that mean that you also think that Mushroom is correct in saying that Damon arranged for Corey t- to kill Lenore Val- Valerian? 100%. Okay. Well, mostly because it's too close of a similarity to Littlefinger and Dantos. Mm. That I felt like it was just another attempt for kind of a ripple mirror effect of uh, these stories uh, repeating themselves in, in, in the narrative. How about you, Stephanie? Where do you stand on all of this? I believe Mushroom. And we we see Damon's character. He's, as Kelly said, he has like a dark side and he's just kind of ominous is what I would describe him as. So, Okay. So we believe that we're getting the straight from a small folk basically, or, or, or a servant. Um, yeah. Why are we reading a maester's book in it at all? <laughs> I don't know. Gildane is a little, he seems like a little shyster to me. He's very, I think he's in the, tar, he's obviously in the Targaryen's pocket, but I just find him very unreliable. Understood. Mm-hmm. I respect the skepticism. <laughs> I respect the skepticism but, too. Um, but he's also the one who has the resources and the, I guess, duty to write this book. Mushroom, we have the testimony of him, but Mushroom can't sit there and write a whole book like the maesters can. True enough. So they have the the upper hand. Right on. What else have we got on this chapter? Anybody? I liked that when they were going over who, when when Rhaenyra was able to take her seat at Dragonstone and to find uh, somebody to wed, that Alicent Hightower actually suggested her son Aegon. And if that had gone through, that would have actually just avoided the entire Dance of Dragons. (laughs) Mm, One moment of like, wow, if that had happened, all of these dragons that I've been like kind of tracking and following their stories would still be alive. And it was so sad that it was so, I mean, it was never close to being possible to happening, but it was suggested and dang. (laughs) Yeah. I love the Brackens in the Blackwoods again. My favorite little, uh, here's a quote. When Rhaenyra visited the Trident in 112, the sons of Lord Bracken and Lord Blackwood fought a duel over her. (laughs) <laughs> everybody everybody wanted well they would have fought a duel over a stick like <laughs> well that's true that was it was just a good excuse to get the juices flowing exactly again, right? it, it helped that she was a beautiful princess but the, i think <laughs> they would have fought over anything they would have fought over mushroom <laughs> the hackfields and mccoys yes they would have fought over mushrooms they probably would have fought over the mushroom if they had <laughs> exactly. a chance there's there's much and more to go over in this if you want. I can keep going. <laughs> sure, just keep going. Okay, um, there is another kind of uh, the maester presents three possible answers to a mystery that you get to choose from, Matt. <laughs> yes. That Hall fire. So this is a little bit later than what we're talking about. Many years after Rhaenyra was wed and you had the hand of the king um, and his son, the Strongs, return to Hall. And suddenly, like not long after arriving, their tower was burnt down, and they died as long along with the uh, like fifteen other servants there. And then there's a couple of uh, possibilities as to why it happened, and the context is a little bit important because I think Rhaenyra's husband had just died, and as we spoke about with uh, the suspicion that it was Damon. So now Rhaenyra is possibly available. So it could have been Prince Damon who wanted to get rid of the presumed father of her children. That's Harwin who was there. It could have been uh, Sir Corlys, the sea snake, who uh, wanted vengeance on Harwin, who Lenore was his son, Rhaenyra's uh, actual husband, who died. Or uh, it could have just been an accident mm-hmm. because of Her- Hall is cursed. Larys Clubfoot could have done it because he wanted to be Lord of Harrenhal. And then it's even suggested that King Viserys did it, um, so that the rumors of Har- Harwin um, fathering Rhaenyra's children, Rhaenyra, um, her, her first few children, would uh, not come out to light. Mm, what do you think, Steph? Where does the truth lie? Oh, I'll give you, Matt, your, uh, so that you know which one's which. You got Mushroom was the one who said it was Sir Corliss. Eustace said it was Prince Damon. Um, others, so probably just small folks, said it was Laris Clubfoot. And then a Grand Maester said it was King Viserys. Oh, God. Well, I don't think it was Mushroom. 
You don't think it was Mushroom Story? I don't. <laughs> well, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I feel like um, the thread to follow through, no matter who's giving the account, I feel like the thread to follow through is Dara. Yes. Or Damon. Yes. I think so too. That was going to be my choice. I was going to go through them eat one by one. So not Mushroom. Mm -hmm. And then Eustace, he's another Septon. So I don't, you know, I don't really believe him either. So <laughs> I think I'm going to, I'm going to go with uh, option number, door number three. <laughs> that would be Loris Clubfoot, Laris Clubfoot, who we do actually later see is very sneaky. So it's possible. What do you think, Matt? Oh, I just, I, any, anytime I hear Damon, I just go ding, 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 ding. There's your winner. Yeah. He'd do anything to get what he wants. So he has no scruples. He's scruple. He's scrupulous. Scrupulous. <laughs> this, this is just ridiculous to me. And I don't know why I didn't catch this before, but now I'm just kind of going, oh man, really? Is it, is this how history is decided? Is this how we get history in our own real world? The greens and the blacks come from gown colors. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really? Not well, technically house colors. The gowns just happen to match the houses. <laughs> but are you saying that you're that that's what they're it comes from instead of the colors of the dragons? Oh, yeah. Um I think uh Cyrax was uh well, I know he wasn't green mm -hmm. or wasn't black. Mm. And the high towers don't have a dragon, so <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I just, I was under the illusion that they were basically saying that they got their, they, the way that they got designated further on in history was by the colors of their gowns worn at this particular ceremony. Yeah, the fifth anniversary of uh, Viserys and Alicent's wedding. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you guys. I mean, I, I know that pageantry plays a lot in the role of history, but I, I'm just, I'm, I'm dumbfounded. <laughs> Even later, when uh, they're supposedly making uh, some sort of reconciliation, they wear each other's colors at uh, to another party at court, <laughs> just to show. Right? That they yeah, they, yeah. And, and the whole time, they're all you know, gritting their teeth underneath it. We know for sure. Yeah, it is. It is. It is a gesture uh, done to help. Uh, uh, I guess keep the peace for a second. <laughs> Even Gildane says, or so the court records say. <laughs> Ah, maybe they didn't even do that. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, so Vis Viserys was probably just like told the court, you know, the court record keeper, just put down that everybody was nice and had fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else we got for this chapter? Anything? I want to talk about the marriage of Ama, Aaron, and Viserys. I feel like, wasn't Ama, she was very young when she was married off to Viserys, wasn't she, Kelly? I think she was 13 when she was married to Viserys, who was 18. So that's one, you know, obviously that's a Targaryen thing. And they were cousins, Ama and Viserys. Yeah, she was Dela's daughter, wasn't she? Yes. Yeah. Speaking of Dela. <laughs> yeah, Dela's daughter. And then they got married in 93 AC. And, you know, Ama became the queen consort. I just thought, I like to... to hone in on these smaller women characters and she yeah. was obviously from house Aaron. So I think that's the first time. Is that the first time we get an Aaron? I think it's actually the only time I also went through and made a family tree of uh, Targaryens and who married into them. Um, yeah. There's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, Valerians, um, a couple of uh, Martels later in the years, um, a bunch of Baratheons or, you know, um, well, one, one or two Baratheons that show up throughout the tree. And then just uh, the one Aaron. Yeah. And she was also so the one Aaron family married into the Targaryens and Ama also became mother to Rhaenyra. Yes. So she's also important in that regard. But I just thought their marriage was a little interesting. And I thought she was an interesting character for not being mentioned too much but the Aaron aspect was interesting to me yeah and during their their rule it was a bunch of parties and festivities at least that's how it's presented that he was a yes. you know they they threw parties for their favorites and they were just having you know trying to keep the peace in, in the realm um and I think was well, kind of Viserys's goal after uh she died <laughs> and he remarried mm -hmm. um but it was very easy for them to just have a good time um when they were and then they were happy and newlywed. 
Yes. Now, do we know how she dies? Is she another childbed? Yeah, she died at childbirth (laughs) in 105. Okay, so she wasn't that old. Uh, What do you guys think about this uh, marriage at 13? Because that's how old Alisane was when she was married to Jaharis. That's how old her granddaughter or her grandson, well, he's 18 and marries a 13-year-old. What do you guys think about that? Does that still happen in the Song of Ice and Fire proper, or have they moved the ages up? I think it's a similar for Danny. Um, I think Danny's oh, having Drogo's baby at like 15. Yeah. Well, and weddings outside of any Targaryen uh, thing, I mean, allegedly they were going to marry Arya to Ramsay, right? Or they were going to pose that it was Arya married to Ramsay. She would not even be 13 yet, would she? I mean, being betrothed is different than being... Yeah, but Jane Poole is married to Ramsay. That's true. I mean, I don't think that Jane Poole is 13. Mm -hmm. She might be a little bit older. She she would be... Closer in age. Yeah, to Sansa. You have um, Helena, who marries Aegon, I think. She, she's the, uh, the, the, yeah, Aegon the Elder married his sister Helena when she was 13, and at 14, they had their first kid. And she did not die in childbirth? No. No, well, she Okay. <laughs> yeah. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm not for, I'm not for 13. I'm not either. 13 year old It's, you know, we're in a fantasy world, and it's, but, uh, it's still a little creepy, I think. Yeah. Well, it, it's just a matter of when they flower, is what it seems to be. Right. That was one of Cersei's first questions to Sansa, remember? Mm-hmm. It seems so weird to us, but I suppose in a world where people do die young and you want the goal is to have kids. Right. You know, start them as early as you can. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> the the funny thing to me is is you you see that and then you hear these tales of all of these other lords living to be in their sixties and what have you. It's true. I think that's not a guarantee. And I don't know, maybe they don't have the internet. They don't have much else to do. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have that many books unless the maesters are making them up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Priorities uh, are different. <laughs> on the other hand, you might have something like the shivers come along and wow, whole, there you whole go. families get wiped out. So yeah, good, good points. Good points all around. We talked about tall tales earlier. How about this one? His grace gave the babe a pearl ring off his finger to play with and told the twins a story of how their great-great-grandsire and namesake Jaehaerys had flown to the dragon north of the wall to defeat a vast host of wildlings, giants, and wargs. We talked about this earlier, but I was just kind of like, man. There they go. Yeah, just, just let's just brag. Let's, let's, let's exaggerate and brag. You know, I, I'm, when I'm 80 years old or 50 years old, I'm going to be 50. I can't say that. When I'm 51 years old, I, I you know, I'm going to say, yeah, I used to walk uphill both ways to school <laughs> in four feet of snow and minus 15 degree temperatures all year round. All year round. We, did, we, did, we didn't stop going to school ever. Every day. <laughs> Every day. And from the time that I was four until I was 19. <laughs> Matt, uh, just as you're you're reading that passage, it just reminded me when I was going through these chapters, and I wanted to see what the differences were between the original novellas and this, and how it was kind of edited for Fire and Blood. And there's quite a few changes, so I mostly just listened to Ian Glenn's audio of the the short stories and read the Fire and Blood text just to see where they were different. I just kind of noted them, and there was one here where. Uh, when he's telling his his grandchildren the the story, Gildane has changed his text from the Rogue Prince to Fire and Blood, and it says, though the children had heard the story a dozen times before, they listened attentively. And it's an interesting change that he's told the story to them many, many times. That sentence just wasn't in the, the original. And I'm like, why would you? Mm. Some, whenever I came across stuff like that, I was like, why add that? Like, So it sticks out to me that he is embellishing <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Story's got to get bigger or it's not nearly as entertaining. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to say, otherwise it'd be bo- a boring read. Like, <laughs> like It'd be like, yeah, you told us that already, Papa. Right. The first time it was just, he flew his dragon to the wall. Then he flew his dragon north of the wall. And then he he fought, fought a vast host of wildlings and then added giants and then wargs. <laughs> yes. What else we got on this chapter, guys? Anything? 
We haven't talked much about the dragons that have kind of been prolific. Go for it. Yeah. Pull out that spreadsheet and give it to us, baby. <laughs> yeah. So you've got the kind of the start of the, the blacks and the greens, this chapter. Got uh, Ra- Rhaenyra's children who have Vermax, Erex, and Taraxes between her children with uh, Leonor Valerian who may or may not have also been her bastards with uh, Harwin Strong, but either way, the, those they are all uh, dragon riders, if not uh, dragon havers. <laughs> and Rhaenyra herself flies Cyrax. You've got Daemon, who flies Caraxes. Uh, Rhaenyra's, I guess, aunt? No, Lenore's mom. Maybe Rhaenyra's aunt, I guess. <laughs> the family tree gets confusing. Like a second cousin. Rainies flies Maylies, and she's like this red queen, and she has all these clutches of eggs, and Cyrex's clutches of eggs, and there's just an ongoing list of the, which dragons have eggs, and which dragons have hatched, and which have been flown, and which haven't. Um, on the green side, Allison's children, starting with Aegon, has Sunfire. Now, Sunfire, I love picturing because he's supposed to be the most beautiful dragon ever seen on Earth. And that's such a good name, Sunfire. It is. And his story makes me weep just as much as Alicent's because Sunfire was, or hers, I think Sunfire. I don't remember if Sunfire is called male or female, which is another interesting point. If I don't know if you guys pay attention to when a dragon is male or female. It's just an interesting I do, but my – how do they know? <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, and- Were all of Danny's dragons? I always just thought of them as male. I guess you don't know unless they lay a clutch of eggs, but they refer to so many as female, even if it doesn't mention anything about eggs. So I don't know. Right. I, yeah, I just always – I'm like, how do they know? and and aren't there all kinds of speculations out there about you know a a dragon can change its sex if it needs to in order to do where did i hear that was that on the show or like on a reddit thread (laughs) i think there and of course don't quote me but i think there was um it was mentioned and dismissed somewhere in fandom but also because it was mentioned in text and dismissed so it's kind of like a the fans either, you know, glammed onto it because it was mentioned and therefore possible. But, you know, of course, if the maesters dismiss it, then it's probably true, you know. Right. Ah. Mm-hmm. Probably. But yeah, Sunfire. Um, and then you've got his wife, Helena. Uh, Aegon II flew Sunfire. Helena ends up flying Dreamfire. Aemon One-Eye ends up flying Vagar, the Conquest. So it's always cool to picture Vagar. It's just the biggest dragon since Valerian. Refer- oh, also, Vagar is a female. I don't know if anybody remembered that. I always pictured Vagar as a, as a male. That's a masculine name. Yeah. Vagar. Darren, the youngest of Allison's, had Tessarian, and she was also a beautiful blue queen. So maybe she wasn't a queen, but she was... Yeah, I guess they called her the blue queen. But yeah, you've got all these beautiful dragons to picture, and oh, I just loved... All of them. And of course, you've got these little baby twins from Aegon and Helena who've got eggs and they're, or maybe like hatchlings by the time of the dance. But yeah, you've got Stormcloud, um, another uh, dragon on the red side, I forgot to mention. But yeah, all of these little dragons coming up and we'll, we'll keep an eye on them as we get closer to the dance. <laughs> Anything else for this chapter? Just the story of how Eamon lost his eye and got a dragon. I loved <laughs> Yeah, he, he, because he he hopped. Now that was Vagar, right? Yeah, that's yeah. how he got Vagar. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and he lost it to which of the kids? The middle, Luke. Excellent. But and these uh, kids were so young too. Speaking of young, you know, girls having babies. These babies were out there flying dragons and fighting. I think uh, Joff was only five or three, and he started this fight. That's crazy too. Yeah. <laughs> Too many kids, too many kids. Mm-hmm. But that sets up the beginning of ooh, the beginning of the end of dragons. In mm-hmm. a way. Yeah, we had that. So just to start, stop the end of the year, we at the beginning of the year one twenty, you had uh, Damon's wife in childbirth and and trying to get to her, and then getting sick and um, trying to get her her mount at that time was Vagar, and then she died. Um, but then. The uh, the year ended when twenty ended with Rhaenyra pregnant again with Damon's child, <laughs> and that sets up the next chapter, chapter thirteen: the dying of dragons, the blacks and the greens. 
Chapter 13. The Dying of Dragons. The Blacks and the Greens. Did you guys read The Blacks and the Greens, the novella? It was in one of those anthologies that he writes for. Well, if you've read these, this book, you've read it now. It's oh. So the Blacks and the Greens story from the novella, The Princess and the Queen, the text is very, very similar as I went through and highlighted the, dis- the differences. There's <laughs> editors maybe made changes. There's a few like ages that were changed, like for uh, Jace, Luke, and Joffrey, they kind of start out a slightly different age. There's some annotations as to what Mushroom is claiming is the text and what some of the maester is claiming is the text. So there, besides those, there's big chunks that are also added to this book. So I would say if, if you are concerned that you're rereading the same text, like there is a lot you'll miss if you say, I've read The Princess and the Queen and just skip ahead to The Hour of the Wolf. Like you'll miss a lot that was added, um, pages and pages of uh, side stories and um, more in-depth looks at things that were touched on in the dance. So a little bit different and also a lot more expansive. All right. Keep that in mind, folks. I'm going to start off with one of the most minute points ever. <laughs> All right. I love the Georgisms in here. Um, Eric and Eric, the Cargill twins. Yes. The only difference is A and E. Who else do we see like that in the series proper? Walder Frey's two daughters, Sarah and Sarah. S-E-R-R-A and S-A-R-R-A. I pronounce them both Sarah. I pronounce you say tomato. I say Eric. <laughs> love that. I love. I love it when. They- Why do they do that to twins? Why on earth would a parent do that to their twins? Hey Eric, come here. Which one? Hey Sarah, come here. Which one? You know, just to just to keep things interesting, and by that I mean confusing. We can switch them later. And aren't they they repeated again? There's actually an Eric and an Arik in the main story. Oh no! Don't you call them Eric and Arik? No? They're not Eric and Arik. They are Eric and Eric. <laughs> uh, Lady Olena can't tell them apart, so she calls them left and right. It's <laughs> <That's> awesome. <Yes. laughs> so good. I love that they were intended to be uh, honoring these these twins who we he- here have this like very sad story and then this you know very honorable lives and very sad story and then th- these songs after them and Lady Olena just calls them left and right because it's too confusing. <laughs> yeah, well, and here here these two twins we find uh, do get caught up on opposite sides, which is kind of sad. Yeah, and. I th- feel like that's a lot of the case here you you end up having lords having to choose which side to go on and you know if they don't feel strongly for you know the um allison's greens then they just have to decide whether or not they want to be involved in this war or not and as we go through the, the this version of the dance we have i think a lot more detail about some of the the smaller lords reactions and how they i think the lannisters is the one i'm looking forward to talking about a little bit and uh how they chose to in- either involve or not involve themselves <laughs> <laughs> well let me move let me move on to this topic then again susan and i had uh this discussion uh, in the last set of ch- chapters during that week about the birth of stillborns and their appearances. Ooh. And I had maintained that with, when you look at, at Magar's children and the admission from the witch that she had had uh, poisoned them or, or somehow affected um, their shape and their form, that Mary Mazdor had done the same to Daenerys. Um, however, there's this instance here with Rhaenyra's stillborn daughter Visenya twisted and malformed with a hole in her chest where her heart should have been and a stubby scaled tail. Now, I don't think there's anybody. The, the only, I mean, there, there's no possible connection between Magar and his wife, the witch from, the, from Essos and, and this birth. But is it possible that there's some kind of genetic marker that that magic back then placed in them? I I like that idea because that also reminds me of Danny's stillborn son. Remember? He was covered in scales 
I did he have a tail? I think he might have had a tail too. Yeah. Yeah, and I I am so just in awe of how that when that happened, you know, we were all so horrified to read that and it was heartbreaking and just shocking. But then as you read this book, it happens over and over again. <laughs> I don't know if it's a curse upon like the the family because if she did curse Magar, it wouldn't have gone through him to his any of his, you know, lineage to get to, to Rhaenyra, but um I suppose she resided at Dragonstone. There could have been something there. And I actually kind of did a little quick Google. Uh, You can look up the names of uh, descendants as we've been joking about names. How many there are named after Aegon, Aemon, you know, variations. And you get a lot of variations of Rhaenyra, but very few of uh, Visenya. Um, Actually, no females named after her, um, just males, at least um, from my quick search. So it is interesting that this girl was named Visenya and was kind of doomed. Well, because Visenya was not Aegon's favorite. Oh, yeah. And the the, the line that we're following. Yeah. The lineage we're following all came through Rhaenys. Yeah. Yeah. So so it makes sense. It's just interesting that how they don't... uh, honor her name very much. Of course, we're talking about the reign of a king right now named Viserys, but <laughs> it's, so it's not, you know, 100% true, but it's just kind of interesting that, that um, the one time it does crop up, it's uh, this this child who was cursed. Um, and maybe it was the, the, you know, the anger when she found out that her half-brother had been coronated, that her, her father had been dead for some time without her being told, and that rage supposedly put her into an early labor um, and maybe there is just a bit of magic involved with every Targaryen birth. And if it's kind of set upon with such a bad tidings, maybe it affects uh, the actual birth. I I think that's really poignant, Kelly. Um, and I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. So the, this chapter starts off the princess and the queen. And, and I don't mind carrying you guys. I, I love this, <laughs> this story. So I've read it a bunch. The, the, Green Council starts, and the and then to in response, you know, the Black Council follows, and you've got the sides forming. You've and this is where Coralus Valerian shows back up with uh, Princess Rainey's, the queen who never was. The small folk call her, and she is this this awesome kind of military leader, and she actually, I think, has one of the biggest points in the uh, in this in the chapter where she just goes through all of the dragons and. Thank goodness for this list because it helps kind of establish the strengths of each side and kind of where they're going to take the war between the the, the fighting and how it's going to play out. And they kind of discuss the tactics too and how wise it would be to actually use the dragons and, and the wisdom in maybe, you know, as a last resort using them. And the whole parallel between those and nuclear weapons is pretty apparent here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's an arms race, that's for sure. Exactly. Um, cycling it back through to the whole process that went through mm-hmm. after the death and yeah. all of all of this stuff, um, you know, don't tell the realm yet. Don't, you know, all of this stuff that goes on with that. Right. How can you justify what happens there? Is there a way to justify it? Is, is, is this, this is one of the reasons why I find a lot of the, the whole idea of high towers and 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 what have you so fascinating because i mean everybody's jumping on to this lordling that they have in the castle while renera is over there in dragonstone right and she's pregnant and she's pregnant and whose side it, it's amazing how this story flips it's hard to talk about it without going further into the results but at this point i'm just kind of like Despite the ruling of the council, Great Council of 101, I feel like the throne has been usurped. Does anybody feel that with me? So I kind I, I can see that. However, I, I sympathize with the Hightowers and, and their Targaryen children here because it's like this was not even a generation ago decided. Like it's still within the memory of, I guess it might have been exactly a generation ago, if depending on how you count generations. But it was... Not 20 years ago, this, I guess 30 years ago, this happened and it was decided and this was supposed to make things clear going forward. And yet the very king that was put on the throne because of the decision of that council 
he has kind of threw it out the window and named his daughter. And at the time that made sense. And it was irresponsible for him not to make a any alteration to that after he had sons or, or a clarification to that after he had sons. So I, I feel like the Hightowers had, you know, legitimate ground to say that their Aegon was going to be king. I, I think I disagree. I agree with Matt that this was a usurp, but that's because I am a big fan of Rhaenyra. And I'm not so much a fan of Allison. <laughs> well, see, I'm just a total unfan of the Great Council of 101. It's agreed, agreed. <laughs> you know, and, and the fact that Jaehaerys, the fact that he accepted this seemed odd to me. I feel like at that point, it was a attempt to keep any amount of fighting from escalating. You know, just have a big, you know, if the majority agrees, then the majority will fight for that decision. You know, when they all agree to that, that's what they, you know, it kind of implies that if there is ever a disagreement, the majority clearly would win if it came to fighting over a decision. So I, I kind of understand why Jaharis said, just decide it amongst yourselves and I'll agree with whatever you 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 say. And granted, he was like super old at that point and tired, and his um, Al- it was just Alicene, I think had, had already died, so he was he was a shell and he was weak and uh, didn't want to start anything at his end there. Um, so I can see why in in context he agreed with it. But okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm just kind of like you know it's like okay you guys whoever. Whoever comes up with the most, that's who's the most is going to fight. I still got dragons. And instead, <laughs> he passes the buck and lets all of the nuclear weapons end up elsewhere for self-annihilation. Uh, well, I mean, he let the, the nuclear weapons get split. Right. Really. Yeah. So, like, each side has equal parts of, of well, I suppose the blacks at the beginning had more. But uh, it's just a matter of, yeah, who who's going to use them <laughs> i'm just saying that all of this could have been avoided not not just with the th- earlier thing that we talked about but if jaharis had just said this yeah if he'd if he'd mm-hmm. come to a decision on his own well you have i don't mean to continue to be argumentative but you have varus viserys here also saying this rhaenyra and nobody agree you know half the people fought against it like at this point, just because a king has said it has made a decree, once he's dead, you're gonna have the people who disagreed with him at the time, <laughs> making right. that disagreement come to light again. Yeah. Can we uh, talk about the death of Viserys and what Mushroom said? Sure. So our friend, my friend, Mushroom. <laughs> uh, you know the the party line, I guess, is that Viserys died in his sleep, but according to Mushroom, who wasn't even there. Mushroom says that Alicent, his wife, uh, poisoned Viserys, like, drink, which I think is an interesting theory. But Mushroom wasn't there. Mushroom was with Rhaenyra. Yeah, that's the one time that I kind of go, I don't know if Mushroom, maybe he heard something. Well, I was going to say, I tend to believe Mushroom, but so this could have been Alicent's plans to put Prince Aegon on the throne, and then she had her little puppet Kristen Cole with her. So, you know, I don't know. I tend to believe mushroom. I tend to believe the mushrooms. The the evidence is a, is not 0% here too, because if we go back to the previous chapter, when Viserys cut his hand on the Iron Throne and his maester tried to heal it, he was failing. And so then it only was uh, successful when Rhaenyra brought her maester from Dragonstone right. to King's Landing to help heal him. But Alicent was really angry with with that thinking that they meddled <laughs> and mutilated the king but then when the maester of the king's landing maester did die and they had to replace him they kind of struggled as to who what maester they were going to pl- replace him with and of course the king was eventually like uh, doesn't matter guys the you know old town sends me the maester and so they got a new maester and King Viserys did seem to recover some of his old vigor it says so it's kind of interesting that you get a new maester and you have some life revived into him maybe whatever was happening like somehow Alicent was slipping something into his food or or something that the new maester is able to counter but of course it his uh symptoms return not long after so maybe she was able to get to that maester and (laughs) or something (laughs) and let's not forget where does every maester come from old town the high towers yeah it's true (laughs) oh yeah 
So yeah, even though the, the old town did choose the maester, it's pretty possible and likely even that the high towers had a hand in which one was sent. <laughs> so the uh, the two coronations and and how distinctive they were. You had Aegon crowned with the iron and ruby crown of Aegon the Conqueror, whereas Rhaenyra was crowned with the one that Jaehaerys wore because it was stolen, <laughs> sent to her on Dragonstone. And I think the um, this would be a kind of a, a weird insertion here, but I, I like picturing um, kind of how tradition has played out with how the prince and now princess of Dragonstone is always the intended inheritor of the throne. It always makes me think back to in the main series how Robert gave Stannis Dragonstone because he at the time at the end of the rebellion was his heir. And it was supposed to be an honor, but uh, Stannis was so gloomy. Yeah, he was so mad about it. But like going through all of these prince and princesses of Dragonstone, it's like, you know, people got mad when they weren't named the Prince of Dragonstone, you know? So it's just kind of funny to see that that was something that Stannis took the other way. (laughs) I was just going to say, I think that's more Stannis. Yeah. And he's just being a grumpy Gus. Yep. Well, yeah, because as soon as Robert had heirs, it was kind of an empty title. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's true too. Well, I just want to say that I'm not really a fan of Alicent. What do you guys think of her? Well, I'm not really a fan either, especially because of, again, just it feels like a coup. It feels it like you know, I agree. Don't don't tell anybody that he's dead. Lock it up. Lock oh, up for sure. Room. Lock you know. We poisoned him, guys. We. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm leaning that way. I don't know if I'll definitively say that way, but I I, I am leaning that way, and it, it just you know the uh, the whole the one dissenter in the council. <laughs> mm, what happens to him? We're yeah. not exactly sure. We hear three accounts. Um, there's the famous Kristen Cole account that I think everybody's heard before, right? That, yeah, he, was that the one where he threw him out a window? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that or cut his throat. Yeah. So actually, that's an interesting note because this section is added from, it's not in the, the Princess and the Queen. When uh, Orwell speaks up, that's how it's originally written. Uh, it's originally written that Beesbury spoke up and Orwell says that it was he who spoke uh, softly. So it's kind of an interesting comparison between the old text and this text in that Orwell's putting himself as the sympathizer in this uh, scenario. <laughs> but of course, it is more likely that it was Beesbury compar- uh, considering what happens to him. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's such a huge mess. And when you have all of these different accountings and everything... I guess just make up your own mind or or look for a surplus of evidence somehow. I always try to find a shred of non-conflicting evidence, but it just seems impossible in these histories, which makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of masterful that way, too, when when all possibilities are equally likely. I think that's realistic because if it was if it was a, a swayed slightly one direction or the other, then it should be in the text. But since it is. In the text, equally confusing to us as it is to the writer, <laughs> it makes sense that they formed no conclusive, this you know, fact. Right. Yeah, you you do have um, the the council, the Black Council, does seem much more underhanded at the beginning here, since they don't tell you know they kind of are doing things in secret and they s- supposedly spill the first blood. Um, it does set you up to have. Um, dislike for them and it seems so unfair that you know Rhaenyra should be they should they've all swore oaths they should follow her but they take her her condition her her pregnancy and her distance to their advantage and they seem like the bad guys at the beginning um I, I'm always annoyed whenever they talk about how between the two of them, how the the years and childbirth had worn away some of Rhaenyra's beauty and made her a little thicker. <laughs> oh my God. Whereas Alicent was half again her age and still thin and graceful. It's like, come on. <laughs> Rude. Exactly. But there's, you know, and so of course there's sympathy and, and bitterness, I think it's kind of a setup in the beginning between the, these two sides. But I would say, you know, keep that in check a little bit because it does kind of come out where both sides are do these awful, awful things. So, <laughs> but yeah, true enough, true enough. The Black Council seems like a, uh, a genuine war council. 
whereas uh, the the Green Council seems more like maybe a uh, political council. It's true. It was very smart, though, what they did at the Black Council. Like they took all of the um, the notes that were from the Great Council of 101. They examined them to find which lords had spoken for which uh, of the contenders and decided who would be on their side and who would be on, on Rhaenyra's side so that they could take advantage of this this um, time that they had to establish a game plan. It was kind of it was pretty brilliant. And I think that's uh, I don't know. I was impressed. <laughs> I think the high towers have that, um, you know, that strategic the mind like that. I think of like a Tywin Lannister and kind of uh, it may seem bad, but it's for the good of uh, our family. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> We interrupt this podcast to bring you a clarification of the greens and the blacks, the conversations just previously and from here forward get very convoluted and confusing. So we're going to give you the listing of each members of the greens and blacks. The greens are the house that is in power at King's Landing. They consist of Aegon II, who becomes king or has been proclaimed king by the people there he is married to queen helena there is prince aemon targaryen prince darren targaryen prince jaehaerys targaryen jaehaera targaryen and prince maelor that is the main family now the council is the dowager queen alicent hightower she was the second wife of viserys targaryen and so she wants her son to be in power. Uh, her father, Sir Otto Hightower, is the hand of the king. Sir Kristen Cole is a commander of the King's Guard at the time of the beginning. And we'll get more into him later. Now, let's go to the prominent blacks. They are seated on Dragonstone and they have crowned Queen Rhaenyra who is the daughter of Viserys' first wife. She is married to Prince Daemon Targaryen, but from her first husband, Valerian, she had princes Jace, Luke, and Joffrey. We'll call them just those. Um, Then uh, other members of the family include Prince Aegon Targaryen, Prince Viserys Targaryen, Princess Rhaenys Targaryen, Lady Bela, the Valerian family has long been an alliance with Daemon and with Rhaenyra, basically one of the people who really helps Rhaenyra make decisions is Corlys Valerian, who we know is a sea snake, so that's another important name to keep track of here amongst all of these councils. And also coming to the aids of the Blacks is Corlys Valerian's wife, Reyna, who was also a Targaryen, also known as the queen who never was. Whew, that's a lot. So, that is the families as the way they stand, just so you can try and keep track of them through this upcoming very convoluted conversation. Do you guys have many thoughts on the children? We have the the, the children on the greens and the children on the black side. <laughs> So far, we just have uh, Jacaris, uh, Luke, Lucerus, and Joffrey with, okay. with uh, Rhaenyra, mm-hmm. and those are on the reds. And then you, or I, so I have them outlined in red on my doc. I'm apologizing <laughs> right now. I know every time I do it, I apologize. Um, the blacks, and then you've got the greens. As uh, these are kind of these are actually those kids, um, ne- uncles and aunts, if that makes sense. <laughs> they're Rhaenyra's half siblings, but they're younger than her, so. Uh, their ages are more close to Rhaenyra's actual children. But uh, Aegon, who got crowned, Aegon II, his wife Helena, who's and so he's riding Sunfire and she's riding Dreamfire. Aemond, who's Aemond One-Eye, and Darian, <laughs> who rides Tessarian. So as of right now, those are the family, those are the that kind of like same generation right there um, that are kind of quarreling with each other. And then you've um, Aegon II and Helena actually have three children as well which we'll get into with the whole blood and cheese. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
So we have like a little bit more personality on the green side. So you, you see more of Aemon one eye and um, Aegon too. You kind of hear that Aegon is sleeping around and <laughs> he's, you know, he, he has this, like when they found him to crown him, he was like uh, in bed with a prostitute or with a, or some, you know, kind of a sour story that you hear from Mushroom was a little gross, but... <laughs> Like she was really all the more um, reason for me to not like them. The greens, yeah, exactly. Like you're definitely set up to be like these. This is this is a little gross. But his first sentence is, "I can't be queen. My sister is. My half sister is." Like it is kind of interesting that the juxtaposing his what his mom wants with what he wants. Um, He initially didn't want to do it, and then he was convinced um, otherwise because it was for his family's safety. Well, and not only that, but he he finally came to the realization that he can get away with a lot more of that stuff if it's all kept within the Red Keep rather than, uh, (laughs) you know, slum around a little bit. True. Uh, The the Black Council did have a lot of arguments for uh, not wanting Rhaenyra on the throne. They used the Council of 101 for the more legal arguments, but they use these like personal arguments that I found kind of undermined some of their authority when they were just like, well, we really don't like Damon and we really don't think that those kids are um, full Targaryens or, or we think they're bastards basically that uh, Jace who would be the heir under Rhaenyra. Um, they think that he's a bastard. And so therefore, you know, not legitimate to sit the throne, which Honestly, that annoyed me the most because he's still half Targaryen, like, you know, and it kind of made me think, like, I don't know why the line has to come through the mail anyway. Like, it's really easy to prove that this woman had this child because for nine months she's going to show and then she's going to have the baby right. where there's many people around to see. <laughs> right. It's very clear who the maternal lineage is, whereas so it makes a lot more sense sometimes to anyway. <laughs> I'm team black. Oh, I'm, I apologize. That was all the green council. I said black. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I said I'm team black. What yeah. team are you guys on? <laughs> right now, I'm team black. Same. Same. I think Mushroom's team black, too. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Definitely. I like I like the stories that come from Mushroom being by Renero's side. Yes. How pers- you get much more narrative stories uh, coming up in the next couple chapters, so it's easier to follow, I think. Excellent. Anything else? Well, the chapter ends with the with the terms being offered. So once the Greens find out about the Blacks uh, coronating, coronating is that a verb? Perhaps sure. crowning, <laughs> crowning Rhaenyra, um, they offer terms and they send septen- septas and um, scribes, and they they kind of actually offer what sounds like fair terms um they saw they the greens offer peace but of course uh Rhaenyra, after they list off everything that they'll you know th- nobody will be uh, put to death everybody will be pardoned um just let's just do this peacefully Rhaenyra just looks at the the maester and says so <laughs> you were there when my father uh named me his heir right <laughs> and he was like yeah <laughs> she's like <laughs> Yeah. And then this is where Eric and Eric part ways and there's a sad song written about them. <laughs> yes. Eric and Eric. Double neck <laughs> twins. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and uh, I agree that the uh, the terms were friendly, but it's kind of hard to make terms when you've done a coup. Yeah, like nobody's going to change their mind. <laughs> it's just as, you know, this isn't a new rivalry, you know, so. True enough. It's been building for the years and years and years prior back to where they were wearing gowns. Oh, it's going to be tough to talk about the rest of these because I love these dragons so much and they all have these horrible, horrible, horrible ends. deaths. <laughs> oh. oh, you people and dragons. <laughs> no. Yeah, it is sad, and we will get into that next time when we discuss uh, a few more chapters from The Dance of Dragons, most of them called The Dying of Dragons in this particular book, and we'll get to those next week. In the meantime, Kelly, thank you so much for joining me. If people want to talk to you about A Song of Ice and Fire, how can they find you? 
You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Kelly Underfoot, K-E-L-L-Y, and Underfoot like my girl. Excellent. And Stephanie, the Song of Ice and Fire Siren from the North. How can people talk to you about Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire? Well, I hope everyone enjoyed my colorful comments today. And (laughs) you can find me on Twitter at SM Persephone. Persephone like the goddess of the underworld. Excellent. And we will be back next week. If you have any thoughts, we'd love to include them in a feedback section. So far, I've gotten zero thoughts. Oh, no. You have some thoughts. I know you have some thoughts. Get those thoughts to me. Matt's audio blog, M A T T S audio blog at gmail.com. Or you can tweet to at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on the Twitter. And remember, you can find all back episodes as well as the Symphony of Ice and Fire panel uh, at the website. That's Matt's audio blog.com, M A T T S audio blog.com. Take care. Send tweets to the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod, and send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>